This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome in everybody to the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. Uh, I'm excited to get this podcast out to you guys here on Monday morning. Hopefully your weekend went well. And hopefully you did enjoy the bonus weekend content where we had Mina Kimes on from ESPN. She was gracious enough to give us some of her insights in the Browns. And PFF's Kevin Cole, who's uh, fantastic work with his podcast and uh, different angles, and especially fantasy football I wanted to get to you guys because obviously fantasy football leagues, if you're doing dynasty leagues, things crazy like that are kicking up, and that information is always useful. So I wanted to get that out to you, and, and I think Kevin just is, is an all-around great dude, really funny, and his podcast you should be listening to as well. Uh, simple reminders before we get started, uh, the, the mailbag question that we went out here to everybody as we were doing a mailbag today went up in the Ask the Insider section, and you would only see that if you're an OBR subscriber. It's a dollar for your first month to get in there, check the rumors, all of the insider information that we have in our Ask the Insider section. Uh, you get film rooms, you get draft content, you get everything you could conceivably want as a Browns fan, and especially going to need that during this dry spell of, of two months where we're trying to think of what to talk about these guys, and you're trying to figure out what to think about with your Browns, and where do we go from here, and what content can I find? Well, we're going to have that content for you. Check out the OBR YouTube page. Click subscribe to that channel because then you'll be notified whenever we go live and we have some fun plans with that channel coming up. Uh, also, last but not least, this podcast, please do give it a like uh, if you can. I don't even know if you can like podcasts. You probably need to give it a download, subscribe to it. Then you get a download automatically, which would be awesome. Then you could give me a review, maybe five stars and a nice comment. I always, always, always appreciate that stuff. So now that we've got that boring nonsense out of the way, now I bring in my guest, Mr. Brown's Daily Mock, Stephen Thomas. How are you, my friend? Good to be back, my friend. Uh, uh, ready to uh, talk some. For the first, this is the first time we've actually talked since minicamp, so I'm uh, I'm actually kind of excited about it. Yeah, the, we got a great building the Browns episode, which was tied was to fun. this minicamp. Man, I, I'm not sure what episode number it was. I asked you if if you I don't think it got a ton of hoopla today. I was watching a ton of golf. You know, my family was here, and I just had to watch Phil Mickelson sit around. Are you into golf? Is that anything that interests you, or not really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And it's it's funny that uh, you know Phil is now the uh, golf always likes to root for the old guys, the old guard, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, now that now Phil is part of that, and I'm old enough to remember when he was you know the the youngster out of Arizona, and everybody was rooting for. You know Watson and 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 that old guard against him. So now that the the time the sands of time continue to shift, 
uh, and he's on the old side, it's uh, it's kind of funny to me because if he's old, then what the hell am I? <laughs> he's is so cool. it is cool. Like I mean, I, I grew up watching Phil, so I still see Phil as like you know. I didn't see him at a young young age, or recall him at a young young age like you did, but. I grew up watching. I'm a left-handed swing of a club, swing of a bat. I throw right-handed, but I, I swing everything left-handed. I've picked up golf as a lefty and, you know, just drew me into Phil. So it was really, really cool. No, I, I think this is probably the first event. I mean, the Lakers-Phoenix game had a lot of fans there, but this golf tournament where the people just flooded the 18th green was so cool to watch. It just is kind of like, okay, maybe there is a sense of normalcy with sporting events uh, coming and that's that that was really kind of a unique thing to me there I, I don't know if you enjoyed it but i i just thought it was really cool to feel like oh this is a normal sporting event uh, as we kind of creep back toward a summer where i think we're going to get there with a lot of places so that was cool um building the browns though it's 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 episode four for 2021 so we're looking at rookie mini camp a lot of this is this is probably not the the favorite episode of a lot of people but to me so unique to see so many intricate details that nobody even thinks of, but is important. And it's like, you forget, Steve, and I know you're going to elaborate this, and I want to throw it to you. These guys are still young kids, man. They're young, mm. and it's like they're going from, you know, a, a playing football and, and, and going to, you know, uh, accounting class on Monday to now it's your job. And that's a huge transition, right? Yeah, it, it was neat to see... Um, you know, most of them, they're still in that, at least in the early part of the episode before they got out on the field in that, uh, they had that look on their faces. It was kind of the, you know, 21, 22 year old version of a five-year-old going to Disney world for the first time. Just, you could, <laughs> you could see the awe and the wonder and that, you know, holy crap, they told me I was an NFL player, but now I, I'm actually an NFL player. It's, it's, it's easy to forget, and we said this during the draft cycle, it's easy to forget these are just kids. I mean, they're just kids. And it, it's so neat to watch things like seeing Hudson's dad the night he was drafted crying, you know. And I, 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 I'm a father myself, and I know how it feels to, to watch your kid get a college scholarship. And, and my heart just almost burst out of my chest at that moment, and I still cry when I think about it. So I can't imagine you know, the next level of, of this kind of thing, but you watch them and, and they're going through and they all said something about it. They're going through getting their equipment and getting their helmet. And they see that, you know, Oh my God, it's already done for me. It's already, it's got my name on it. They have my helmet sized and, and, you know, any little quirks that I like, they've already done that for me. I don't have to go in and, and just wear somebody else's helmet that was at Auburn last year or Notre Dame last year and have it fit to my head or whatever. Like this is, cool and real and it was that part of it i think was my favorite i love the rest of it too for the football stuff but just as a as a as a middle-aged guy as a father whose you know child is now an adult herself i just watching young people realize their dreams and seeing it in their eyes is always just amazing for me so i loved that part of it um except for newsom's crocs uh, <laughs> i have to say uh, something I just, I've never been, had I known he was that into Crocs, I might've dropped him to a day two grade. I gotta be honest. Uh, and remember this is coming from a guy who lives in cargo shorts, which I know you're going to, you're going to come back at me because I think you're a Croc guy. If I remember right. I am a Croc guy. I like the versatility. Oh, I talk man. about him with my son too, how you can have him in autopilot and overdrive. That's an awesome feature. No other shoe has that. You can, like Greg said, you can flip it and go use them in the shower if you need to. It's versatile. 
Now, the same debate can be had for the cargo short, right? The pockets and the utility. Uh, but it's uh, it's just a style thing, and some things are in and some things aren't. I'm sure cargo shorts will have a big comeback amongst the youngsters at some point. I wore cargo shorts in high school. It just they phased out. Crocs are in with the young crowd. I'm sure cargo shorts will come back. We're not going to waste you. We respect each other too much for this debate. We, we we can each have one thing that we're like, ah, he's a Crocs guy. Ah, cargo shorts. Well, I have, a, I have a real, one of my best friends in comedy. I've known him 25-something years. He has a great bit, and it's a very long bit, but the crux of it is, ladies, you're always looking for ways to just go out with your girlfriends and not have to put up with guys at the club all night. Here's what you do. Wear Crocs. No guy will hit on you while you're wearing Crocs. I think so. that, uh, that that narrative's changing, man. Crocs are in. You're going to see them at the club. <laughs> They're in. Um, listen, you made a great point early about the the absorbing all of it thing for them. I love the, the Browns' equipment room is renowned across the league for being great. It's not just like a... Every, I'm sure every team has a nice equipment staff, but the staff that do the Browns equipment is like well known as being one of the best ones in the league. And I love that they try to know what the guys wore in college, the helmet type to a right. specific T so that all that, and I, I think the quote he made there was like, it's just the colors changing. It's just the colors changing, but you want it to fit, feel and smell the same way. And I love that because right. that's a little detail, man. Like, you're not going to do anything else than wear your helmet on the field for a long time, and you want your helmet to feel comfortable. You don't. There's so many things new at a place like going to Cleveland when you've been playing college ball elsewhere. It's really cool to just have your helmet be like that's the exact helmet I love, right there, boom, ready to go. I thought that part was really cool, and and um, but you know all of it, all of the the little intricate details on the Zoom call where they're where they're. Hashing out every every that's what we don't understand. And I love that the Browns are giving us these these inside looks at at uh at all of this stuff, man. Which is it, every minor detail with them is covered, and they don't have to worry about it because they get every piece of information necessary. I just was kind of I kind of caught this. I was watching it with my wife, and I was just like, this they are really good at this. Every ounce of the strength train pre- training preparation that they're going through to figure out where guys need to get some flexibility mm, yeah. or some core strength, like that stuff is awesome. And not to mention, Steve, like the field work stuff, which being again on display, the adaptability on the fly. These guys, it's not a regular rookie mini camp where you get sixty guys in there and a ton of tryouts, but they're making the best of it. And imagine James Hudson, man, with 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 Bill Callahan having all of that one-on-one time that was one of my favorite parts it's yeah. so cool to think about all of the stuff this time they're getting to focus on these guys right yeah it's uh and i didn't really think about it. i mean we all kind of knew that when they announced the numbers and everything but it didn't i didn't really consciously consider the ramifications of it until until kevin said it on on the episode that the, the amount of personal attention that like private lessons you know, basically, you know, I used to get my daughter up at, well, she got me up at five in the morning to go to, to private coaching uh, uh, when she was in high school. But uh, it's sort of that level or that type of stuff. But at an NFL level and at a time in the in the process when these rookies don't normally get that much attention. So 
it's not that they're going to be counting on these guys, uh, you know, to carry the team or everything. They're counting on a lot of them for snaps, but they've got other guys in place. But the point is that they'll be much better prepared than they may have otherwise been for at least the start of camp. So when the when the uh, veterans come in, it, you know, it's not going to be as much of holy crap, I'm a rookie and these are grown men. They're going to be a little bit further ahead, at least technically. Um, and not so they don't have to worry about that. And like you said earlier, you want these guys, if you're going to pay these guys, you know, hundreds of thousands and then eventually millions of dollars and put that much pressure, you're going to put the pressure of an entire city, an entire franchise on their backs. They shouldn't have to worry about their helmet. They, they shouldn't be out on that practice field or, or, you know, heaven forbid on Sundays thinking about, oh, my gosh, do my cleats fit right? Oh, my gosh, do my, you know, something's rubbing me wrong on my neck. That's distracting. They're not going to be thinking about their assignments at that point. So the fact that they can just, like you said, their helmet is their helmet. They just painted it a different color. Their shoes, I'm sure, are going to be just their shoes, you know. Mm -hmm. So I can just go out and play football. I don't have to think about all this other stuff that I had to think about my whole life leading up to this. This is a new level, and there's a lot more to think about a lot faster. So the fact that I don't have to think about my shoes or my helmet or my gloves or what have you is just a tremendous advantage. It is. It is. And in the, in the meetings they had, I should have wrote the names down of some of these things. There was a director of uh, player personnel there, I think, who was uh, – maybe it wasn't player personnel, but it was – Engagement. It was engagement. Player, good job. Thank you. Player engagement. It's just so – it, I'm, I, this is not unique to Cleveland. I'm sure every team, I would assume, most teams across the league are doing this. It's not like, oh my God, the Browns are on the forefront. Right. But it's like a, a, a guy in the college level who's that guy, right? Who is is a uh, chief of staff or he's got some other title, director, player, personnel at the college level, who's helping those kids adjust from high school to college. And here's where your first class is. And here's where everything is unique. And they're doing that the same. They probably are setting these guys up with, here's where you're going to live. Here's the options you have. Here's how right. you should finance your money. Here we got this. It's just really cool that they give that perspective. So I love that stuff. I'll probably rewatch it because I'm sure there are some things that I missed, but really cool. I do wonder too, Steve, if like, if this will be, they didn't have rookie minicamp last year, obviously, and uh, because that was when COVID shutdown like really hit, and they get their first rookie camp this year. I I kind of left it thinking they might. I know I know Stefanski said uh, specifically we 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 love having those tryout guys here because we found some guys that way, but some of that individual attention. If they notice that their guys are ready to go earlier, I do wonder if it's going to make them reconsider a little bit, like bringing in 60 people for rookie camp. You know, I don't know if there's something in the CBA that says they have to do that. They have to give a certain number of guys a look. But there is a huge benefit to just being able to focus on the technique, the relationships, all of that stuff with your with your core group of young guys that you've brought in. That's unique, and I, I'm pretty positive they've never done that before in any way, shape, or form. So I do wonder if down the line it does lead to some evolution in the process. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think um, at minimum um, it gives them a better idea a little earlier about the guys that they picked, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. um, just because they get to spend a little more one-on-one. -on -one. Now, again, it was rookie minicamp. They didn't even have enough bodies. The part where the coaches were running the scout team was hilarious. I love that part, by the way. Me too. Um, but so, I mean, it was guys in helmets and shorts doing positional drills. For all intents and purposes, that's all it was. It was a three-day walkthrough. They really weren't 
doing much. So, you know, we shouldn't say so-and-so looked great in rookie minicamp. He's definitely going to start. It's it's stupid early. I mean, they have, wait until at least they put on the pads, okay? But you could hear and see the excitement in uh, specifically Woods, but a, a couple other coaches, voices and faces for what they saw, um, and, and kind of that uh, – some guys you can just tell kind of attitude you know they just move different or Mm -hmm. i can't remember exactly how it was said but and i think the fact that they can focus more uh on just those guys the guys that they think they're going to be counting on may give them a little bit better idea going into camp on who they can push uh for more reps and who they can't um and then of course that will have a domino effect down the line because if so and so pick you know is further ahead than they thought and he's pushing the veteran that they didn't really want to trade, but we're getting calls about, well, maybe they think about it, you know, a little bit down the line. I, I mean, we're six steps out over our skis here, but it's certainly possible. And I, I just did, I loved the excitement Joe Woods had specifically about the DBs. He mentioned the DBs like three or four times. And I know he's a DB coach, so he's obviously going to gravitate towards those guys. But this felt like more than that to me. It, it felt like more than just these are my guys and, you know, I love DBs and that's why I'm excited about it. It, it felt to me like on draft night he was obviously excited because they thought they made good picks. And now he's just seeing them run around out there and it's kind of a shit. We did make good picks. I, this is going to be fun kind of thing that I heard from. I don't know what you picked up, but that's what I picked up from Joe Woods. Yeah, I think, I mean, Joe Woods should have a renewed spirit in general. And you're right. I think, again, we get such a minor glimpse here but he's excited there seems to be a nice level of energy from him about even minor details like how richie lecount's holding his arms when he's backpedaling like Mm -hmm. just little things and i know they're coaching those things anyway it's fine i get it but like uh, i don't have any evidence of the contrary that he's not excited and he doesn't believe they have some some real guys there and we've all heard some some slow rumblings out of camp about jok and like we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, okay. This this is going to be real. Like, this guy is is every bit what we thought he was going to be kind of thing. So, uh, we'll see more. They'll hopefully give us more. I would love it if they did. Uh, they, you know, they're going to start running out of content a little bit here soon. Uh, so, hopefully they tie in maybe another couple rookie minicamp things in there, too. But... Uh, that just great insight. I cannot commend the Browns. I, I think there are other teams doing this to an extent uh, across the league, but the Browns have done a grade A job with this stuff, just letting us see some of it, just enough so that we understand. And 
couldn't be happier about it. So it's awesome. Real quick, though, before we transition to our mailbag, we're going to hear from our sponsors over at uh, Blue Wire. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Okay, we're going to welcome back everybody. We're going to talk about uh, some questions that we have in our mailbag. Again, a reminder, if you are a subscriber to the OBR, uh, you will you will have the opportunity to uh, uh, ask questions and ask the insiders, and we will post. We're going to try to do this every week, just a mailbag Monday, where Stephen and I answer questions and go through and, and pick some ones that are particularly pertaining to things that we're talking about, or just in general. If we have too many, we'll have to weed them down. I don't think we got too many this time, but we got some good ones. So uh, I'm ready if you are, Steve. Yep, let's roll. Okay, so this first question comes from, I don't know how to pronounce your name, man. There, there could be something going on here with some initials of your, your family members or yourself. I-D-R-T-H-R-B-N-C-L-E-V-E. I know cleave at the end there. That's all I got. Um, maybe this is for Lane. I, I think this is a good question that, that Lane, I hope, answers as well. But we're going to answer it. As, uh, it seems that Van Pelt has Alex Van Pelt, the offense coordinator, has been a ghost. What is Van Pelt's role with the team? Um, and how is he involved with the offense? Does he have real input? Does he have a philosophy? What is the added value? Do you want me to take that one? Yeah, why don't you lead off on this one? Well, I mean, first of all, you got to understand Kevin Stefanski is very close to letting him just call plays. So there's an immense amount of respect dating back to his initial hire. He likes the philosophy that he brings, which again, he Van Pelt's not going to put his philosophy, his general philosophy, the way he wants to run things out in the public. Like we're not going to know that, but Kevin ultimately respects him. You can, you could see it when he almost gave him the duties last year. And it's, it's hard because Kevin was an offensive coordinator for a year and like four games, he got four games of 2018, got 2019. And like, I'm telling you as a coach, whatever level you're at, you want to be calling plays. If you're an offensive or defensive guy, you want to eventually get a role to call plays and then get a head coaching role down the line. Like, that's the thing. So it's tough for a guy like Kevin to give up plays. He was close to doing it. So if you look back at Van Pelt, he got a, he got a, a spontaneous job at 09 as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach of the Bills when the Bills fired their uh, OC right before the season. Some in, inner turmoil in Buffalo, late, late 2010s there, believe it or not. So he got a quick opportunity there, but he really inherited an offensive structure. He has never really worked in a Kubiak or Shanahan-based system specifically. He he really didn't get another chance to be an OC until this past year. He went to uh, Green Bay, was a running backs coach a couple years, and then he went. He was all, uh, shifted over to being Aaron Rodgers' right-hand man, who if you go back and check the data of anything uh, when, when he was let go, as a quarterbacks coach, Aaron Rodgers had a real hard time with that. He was he was pissed. Not that it's you know Aaron Rodgers pissed all the time. It kind of seems like anymore. But uh, there was there was a whole thing. Like he liked him and liked the uh, the relationship and where where he was the player and helped him as an MVP player and all of it. Then he went to Cincinnati and did his thing in Cincinnati before ultimately getting the job here with Cleveland. So does he have a philosophy? It's hard for me to tell you what his philosophy is. I think he's malleable to whoever he works with or works under. He's going to do what Kevin wants him to do. The good thing is with, with wide zone schemes, teaching quarterback play is not that tricky. It's, it, it's very similar quarterback footwork uh, to other play action systems. Uh, but the difference is how the offensive line and the running back and their ang- launch angle, different things like that. It's more detail oriented for those guys. So quarterback coaching with that, not a big deal. We saw him call plays 
in the wild card game. I think we can all come to you a universal agreement that was pretty impressive. Uh, he was he was uh, very good timing of when to call specific concepts. I thought he did a great job of adjusting to gun run gap schemes when they really put Pittsburgh on their heels uh, into the first, into the second quarter that got them some nice chunk plays. Pittsburgh with that wide, the way they run their odd front is very challenging to run traditional under center wide zone stuff. So I thought he did a great job in putting them in uh, advantageous situations. If you recall, perfect timing on that screen to Nick Chubb in the second half seal the game so he is adding value he is coaching baker mayfield exclusively as the quarterback's coach he is helping kevin stefanski put together an offensive system structure evaluating talent evaluating opponents evaluating and helping implement the game plan week to week i can guarantee you he's involved in all of that stuff now this is not his stuff he's inheriting what kevin stefanski believes in and does and all of that because kevin is the, the reason Kevin was brought to Cleveland was because of his offensive structure and style. It's a huge part of it. So all of that plays into it. So that's kind of his value. He, you know, if you watch, go back and watch Building the Browns, like they're not really focusing on the quarterback play much. They got a bunch of guys they're just bringing in. They don't add much. And he's not a hugely vocal guy that wants to be out in front of the camera all the time. So I wouldn't worry about not seeing Alex Van Pelt. I think he's doing a good job. Baker had a really nice rebound season, and he got better as the year went on. He fits what they like from a coaching standpoint, from a just work standpoint, and I have no problem with AVP, and I don't think anyone should be worried. Anything to add to that? Feel free, my friend. Well, I think the one thing – I mean, you covered it pretty extensively, but I think the one thing – uh, that I would add is, does he have a philosophy? Well, he may have his own twist on things. I'm, every coach does. It would be silly if he didn't. But he is in alignment with what they're doing because I don't believe anyone in the building stays in the building long if you are not in alignment with their their vision and their their focus and all that stuff because those are not buzzwords for this front office and they they proved it last year in, in extreme circumstances they they not only kept the ship afloat but they I mean it, it, was, it was full steam ahead you know they they mm-hmm. raised the mainsail and, and went straight ahead and you don't do that without the cooperation of every single person in the building if there's a you know a malcontent somewhere especially relatively high up on the scheme which is what AVP is and the organizational flow chart, um, we would have heard about it. You know, somebody would have said something that we would have known. So I think more than anything else, I think that's he's Kevin's right hand or left hand, depending on, you know, which uh, way you want to go to it. So, uh, yeah, that uh, I don't think I have anything technical to add over or, or could add anything technical over what you just did because you covered it pretty well. I, I Yeah, I, he's also a guy I think. I could sense when I was up there, and I wasn't up there last year, haven't been up there this year, I could sense there was something with Todd and Freddie that just didn't connect. I could just sense it. Mm-hmm. There was just a lack of communication there when I would ask him questions. I don't know what I'm doing yet. There was some of that there where I think Todd Monken thought he knew more about offensive football than Freddie. And ultimately, that could be true. I have to stop saying the word ultimately. Say it all the time. I'm trying not to, guys. I'm a recovering ultimately addict on that word. I'm trying to get better. Believe in me. We'll get there. But what I was saying is I think Todd Monken thinks, and he could have a point, that he is a better offensive mind than Freddie Kitchens. And some of that seeps into, I'm not listening to this guy because my ideas are better, internal discord happens. I don't get that vibe from AVP at all. He's very much a blend-in type of guy who just does his job and I think makes the players on this team better. I have not actively been seeking out Alex Van Pelt updates that I don't think anybody has. 
Uh, but everything that I have heard has been glowingly positive. So take that for what it's worth. Next question from Gary Rents, R-E-E-N-T-E-S. N-T-S, no E in there. Can you two discuss the ramifications of offenses exploiting the mobility of their quarterback as a part of their running game? So it seems to me this will dramatically lessen the use of man-to-man coverages and force defenses to run more zone coverages to keep eyes on the quarterback. Secondarily, this will put a premium on quarterback patience and accuracy, which, by the way, this is a question that is geared toward Lamar, and as he says, are not Lamar's strengths. He appreciates your thoughts. So I will go first. Now, actually, you, you take this one. I'll feed off of what you think. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I think, you know, anytime you have more threats and weapons on offense, it puts more pressure on the defense, which is, you know, kind of the whole point. And, and if you do what Baltimore has done, um, and we said this during his draft cycle, whoever he gets drafted by has to adapt their offense to him because he's such a unique uh, talent that if you had tried to, you know, uh, go full hue and say, no, this is my system and I'm going to force a, a square peg into a round hole, he was going to fail. Uh, and Baltimore's done, you know, as much as we hate them all, you have to say, done an absolutely masterful job of, of molding their entire scheme around what he can and cannot do. Now, as far as how you defend him, I, I'm going to let you take whether man-to-man or, or zone is better. I My thought is it depends on your personnel. I mean, the Browns, since we're going to talk about the Browns, simply did not have the personnel to do anything except run a lot of zone last year and a lot, you know, a lot of quarters and all that kind of stuff, just because, I mean, everybody was freaking injured. They were two calls away from me and you getting a call. Um, but is this year and a lot of them are rookies, so we don't know yet. We got to see how they step on the field. I think they have enough guys who are versatile enough that they could do either. I think they can sort of dictate uh, what offenses are allowed to do, but more than anything, if you're talking about specifically about Lamar, whether you're playing man to man, whether you're playing zone, just be smart and do do your job. Play start sound assignment football, and I know that has become a buzzword and sort of a cliche, but it really is true. I'll do my job, you count on that, and I'll count on you to do your job. And if everybody on this defense does their job, more often than not, they're going to win the rep, and that's the only thing you could do against a guy like Lamar because. Uh, you know, there's an old saying in the NBA, you can't shut down so-and-so. You can only just limit him and slow him down and stuff like that. Lamar's, he's just too good to shut down over and over and over and over and over. He's too good. He's going to break loose. He's going to make a big play here and there. That's just the way it is, but you got to limit it. Um, And I think they have the personnel to do that this year. Now, whether or not they do that through, you know, uh, putting somebody out there as a a spy or or whether they just, you know, play uh, a lot of zone or or whatever, what have you. I think you're probably much smarter on, on breaking that stuff down. But regardless, I think they have the horses to really slow him down. Well, on paper to slow him down this year enough uh, that they have a, probably the best chance they've had to beat him twice that they've had since he's been in the league. Yeah, ton of ton of great stuff in that answer. Um, the, the assignment sound stuff is very true. So the, the the crux of the question. Okay, well, let me break this down. And in, in my this is just my side of this is like, are the ramifications of offensive exploiting the mobility of their quarterbacks as a part of their running game? I think there's only really one team that does that, and that's Lamar. Uh, I think that obviously the way they fold in their option 
game plans, triple option things they do is unique. They're the Navy of the NFL, is what I keep saying. Um, I think I think Buffalo does a little bit of it, uh, but they they don't like to expose Josh because they think Josh exposes himself enough that they don't want to do that a ton. Uh, so I think that the, there's not a ton of ramifications of offenses. Like I, I I think I get what you're asking in your next question. Uh, Because if you go man-to-man, if you think back to that Monday night football game against the Ravens when they came to Cleveland in the first half, Lamar had like a 16-yard, he was in the pocket, drops back as a 16-yard gallop with nobody near him up the right hash for a touchdown. Browns are chasing in man-to-man, they have nobody for him. Like, it's easy to say, uh, as you sit and think about this thing, like, it's easy to say, we're going to put a spot, we could play a man, get in their face, and Baltimore doesn't have a great receiving group anyway, and play, play a ton of man, get in their face, and um, and then we'll put a spy on Lamar. Well, you got to have a special play. People talk about who's the Lamar stopper, guys. That is dude is so unique. The way he can start, stop, and the way he can he can burst, he's very unique. There truly isn't one. You can try if you want to try to to let let JOK or John Johnson or somebody try this year. I would applaud that. It's okay because I think you can. Uh, eliminate some of the running game but all he all a quarterback has to do the thing that people forget with the spy is if you get you step up you slide you get out of the pocket you make that spy miss and there's nobody there so you have to have really disciplined rush like you have to have rush lanes intact and you cannot rush upfield mm. past him you cannot if if you play selfish rush football against lamar it it will kill you yeah, it's easy to sit there and also say, yeah, we'll just play zone so we can keep our eyes on the quarterback. What happens if your eyes are constantly looking at the quarterback, Steve? Oh, there's a dig route that's coming in behind me that I didn't feel out. There's ramifications of that, too, where you get caught flat-footed staring at the quarterback waiting on him to run. So you try to find your best mixture of the two, and if you have the ability to keep him maintained in a tight pocket with the ability to hold your rush lane wherever that is, if I have D-gap contain, I have to maintain that integrity. If I have... You know, C, B, and C, I have to make sure my guy is shocked and I can shed him whenever I need to. I think the thing that has has lacked severely with the Browns playing the Ravens the last few years has been rush lane discipline. They've not really created any turmoil for Lamar in the pocket with how they maintain him and box him in. I hope to see that improve, and Jadevian Clowney will help that. There's not a doubt in my mind. Now, as far as like, there's going to be a bunch of other annoyingly sneaky athletic quarterbacks that are in that mix. Deshaun Watson, Justin Herbert, uh, I think Joe Burrow, and I, I got to see Joe post knee surgery, but he was an annoyingly sneaky runner. Uh, I could be forgetting five or six guys in there, but like, you, you, you have those are situations to me, Steve, where you can spy a quarterback because those aren't overwhelmingly great athletes like Lamar are. You know what I'm saying? Josh Allen is another guy, and Mahomes too. They're good, but they're not overwhelmingly great athletes that I would feel more comfortable leaving a guy like Jacob Phillips or JOK to truly mirror them if they do try to take off because your man coverage is good. Then you can pursue them and feel comfortable about trying to bring them down. But if you try to say in this question that Gary's asking about just Lamar, you can't just say we have a guy on our roster now who can stop him in the open field because you're going to lose that battle more often than you want to. It truly starts with your rush lane discipline, boxing him into the pocket, making him throw the football all game, 
Make him throw. Make him make tight window throws all game. He'll make some, but he won't make all of them. And that's where you have to capitalize against him. Get out in front of the Ravens. Score more points than them. You're not going to win 7-3 games against the Ravens. This is not 2002. <clears throat> you got to score. So you just try to create some uncomfortable situations for Baltimore. Make them throw as much as possible. Mix your coverages and try to confuse them. Then that, and he's good. He's really good. That's the best you can hope for. Yeah, and I and I think you hit the nail on the head there. You make him beat you with his arm. Now, can he do that? Yeah, he can. But is it as consistent as saying, okay, we're going to drop back and you beat us with your – he's going to beat you with his legs nine times out of ten. It, that's just how special he is. So I think making him throw the ball 35, 40, 45 times a game – and they did upgrade their wide receiver core in the draft this year. I think they've got some guys who are going to help him out because he's accurate, but he's not pinpoint. And as far as those other guys go, you and I talked about this for years and years and years, pre-Baker Mayfield, when they were you know, searching for quarterbacks, and we analyzed the draft classes you know, to a ludicrous amount of every quarterback. There's a difference between a runner and a scrambler. Um, those other guys that you were talking about, yes, they can beat you with their legs. I mean, you, you could throw Aaron Rodgers into that. He can beat you with his legs. But that's not the plan. The plan is not for Dak Prescott to go out and be an absolute threat running the ball for 20, 25 snaps a game, whether he ends up running it or not. He's the threat is my point. You know, And that's the same for Josh. It's the same for you know whoever. There's lots of athletic mobile guys out there. It's almost impossible to not be at least mobile and make it as a quarterback in this league anymore. But a guy who you know it, it, it scrambles for a 15-yard uh, gain twice a game is vastly different than what we're talking about when you face a guy like Lamar Jackson. I mean, I, did he average 100 yards a game last? I mean, I don't, I don't think he did, but it's ridiculous. He could. He could, and that's the point. Those other guys, I don't think you want Patrick Mahomes getting hit that many times running the ball. I don't think you want Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers or whoever getting hit. Baker Mayfield can you know, get you a first down here and there. He's, he's mobile. He's not a statue back there. But he's not a runner. There's a difference between a scrambler and a runner. Those other guys are scramblers. Lamar is an out-and-out -out runner who can absolutely dominate a game with his feet. And uh, I think they finally have the horses this year to stop that. Yeah, you just have to stop it enough. Like I said, you're not going to hold Baltimore right. to, to 10 points. Like you got to know that you got to score. And I think the Browns, their frame of mind is in the right place. Get enough guys that gets the other team off the field through whether you're getting stops on third down or creating turnovers, just enough so that you can score more points. That's pretty simplistic look at it. It is true, but the way offenses have advantages naturally, intrinsically through mm. the NFL, you're just not going to dominate teams on the scoreboard. So you got to put up points on your own end to to be able to beat those teams. So, but you're right; they have they have much better personnel to handle that this year. Next question: I know there are going to be some decent rosterable players but outside of the top three to four picks sorry i should slow down there there's going to be a cut of some decent rosterable players outside of the top three or four picks what draftee or udfa heck current player do you think is too valuable as a prospect to expose risking uh, putting them on the on the practice squad and that come the question comes from shruni i will answer first i have two one is a current player who I think is a fringe player who I love and hope he can find a way because he'll get snatched up. Somebody in the league will snatch him up. That's Kaderil Hodge. 
Uh, he's going to be a fringe mm. guy. It depends on how many wide receivers they keep. But if they only keep five, he is on the outside looking in. They just have too much invested, in my opinion, in DPJ. Uh, they they are going to you know use the skill set that Schwartz has. I think Kadero Hodge catches everything. I think he's sneaky athletic. I think he runs past people. I think he he is a great special teams guy. If he gets cut, he's not coming back to Cleveland. Somebody's picking him up. Mina Kimes mentioned him the other day on the pod. Like he is good. I think he's good. Uh, but where the Browns are going, I could see him being a player who is certainly rosterable being cut. As a young guy, if you try to cut Demetric Felton and keep him around, it's probably not going to happen. The versatility to play wide receiver comfortably, but also be a running back with tons of running back snaps in his, in his uh, repertoire from college, and he's super unique. Like I think ultimately, dang it, I think eventually he can be a Kareem Hunt replacement. That might be how they view him, but... If things get tight, Dearness Johnson has a fantastic camp and preseason. I could see where that decision is really challenging, and I just would not prefer to see him cut because I don't think he ends up making a practice squad here. Somebody snatches him up because I think he's a rosterable player. Yourself? Yeah. Uh, well, you took my, you know two of my top picks, so uh, I'll <laughs> I'll go searching for. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll go a little off the grid here because um, uh, I'll take two as well. Uh, I'll take Drew Forbes on the offense. Um, they have – we talked about it on the last pod that you had me on. They have already way more viable offensive line options than they're going to be able to keep right now. There's just no way. They've already got, I think, 10 or 11, uh, and then you throw in the draft picks and uh, all that stuff. Uh, there's going to be somebody good – cut loose that's just the way it is and i think drew forbes assuming he comes back and is the drew forbes that i know you uh, agree with me he can be in camp um he fits in not only as you know a swing guy this year but potentially uh, either of the guard spots moving forward and i i've heard whispers that they're trying to see if he can snap the ball i have no idea if that's true but he's definitely mm an option along the interior for the future because they have, as we've mentioned ad nauseum during the draft cycle, some questions, contract questions coming up at all three of the interior line spots. Um, and he's big and athletic enough that if he's healthy and they try to sneak him onto the practice squad, there's just somebody's going to snag him. The, the, the dearth of offensive line talent in the league right now is just too great. And, and he's on a cheap contract He's athletic. He's got a ton of promise. I think somebody will snap on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I'm just, I'm going to pick. I was going to say uh, Tommy Togiai, but you know, as an early day three pick, I think that's highly unlikely. So, but I'm going to stick with that position group and say Marvin Wilson, uh, just because of the numbers on the interior defensive line. We, we don't know. They've got a lot of options there as well, and I think they played a numbers game, which is a smart way to approach it, in that they have enough guys that they don't need everybody to have a great camp. They just need a certain number of them to have a good camp so that they can have enough guys in their IDL rotation to do the job well. And really, we don't know. We don't know what Andrew Billings is going to look like after a year off. Malik Jackson is 31. You never know. I, I think he's going to fit in perfectly here. But at, once you're north of 30, it can drop off at any given time. Uh, Jordan Elliott is only a second-year guy. And then you got rookies. So I, I think... If he shows anything in camp, um, there's no way they're going to get him to the practice squad. He's just too – there's too much athletic potential there, uh, and he's too young and too um, valuable in a league that really needs pass rush and somebody who can and step up and at least eat up some snaps on the defensive line. 
I think those, I think if, I'm not guaranteeing that he's going to make the roster. That's not what this question is. What I'm saying is, it, like you said with Hodge, if they cut him, I think it's highly unlikely that he makes it through waivers and they, they're able to bring him back on the practice squad. Those are two fantastic answers. Great answers. Um, okay, let's move on. Those are those are good. Shruni asks, if we're going to cut... Okay, nope, already asked that question. Rewind. Runedog90 asks, do we think an inside corner like Poole or an outside guy... Brian Poole, I should say... Uh, or an outside guy like Steven Nelson or Garyon Conley is a bigger need slash fit financially in regards to playing time, what we already have and otherwise. And is there anyone else out there that would make sense? He says, I think Poole would be the best when considering everything. Thanks. Yes, Steve and I would love to have Brian Poole, one of the NFL's premier inside corners, sign with Cleveland. Duh. Like, flat out. The problem is... How does he fit the picture? They have three safeties they like. They have Troy Hill. They have JOK, who they want to play in some of those inside alignments. Like, if Brian Poole sees a, a spot he can play here and they're interested in him, maybe that that interest in him is like, hey, we actually want to have, uh, instead of being like a 4-2-5, we want to have more corners involved. We'd love to play you and Troy Hill collectively inside. And then... Uh, have you know our our two safeties kind of rotating in and out with Grant, with John, with Ronnie, and then pl- have flex packages there. I'm all about it. I would love Brian Poole, but I don't know that the fit is there. And I'm sure Brian Poole wants to go to a place who is guaranteed to play him, so he can keep earning his next down the line contract and money. Also coming off of an injury, uh, Stephen Nelson, another guy I would love to have. Again, is there a position for him? that he knows he can have because he's not going to be told he can just automatically start in Cleveland. He's going to have to earn that over Denzel, sorry, over Greedy and over Greg Newsom. Is that something he wants to fight for? I like him. Good flexibility. Outside, inside. Can do a little of both. More outside. The guy like Gary and Conley makes the most sense because that's a guy who's fighting to stay on a roster. Obviously has NFL skills, uh, but is fighting and would try to earn everything. So like, there's probably a need, yes. There's also a, a role for him that he would be comfortable signing for, yes. You got to consider those things, Steve. Like I, I'm sure there are some other names maybe you you know. Like uh, Nikel Roby Coleman is a guy who would be maybe comfortable in a reserve slot role uh, that, that, that is not a big-time role because he's had those roles, but he's just looking for a roster and a spot, and he can you know provide some of those things. So... I would love Brian Poole, but I just as we look at how they may add to this corner room, you got to keep in mind, and I think that Rune Dog here is trying to say this too. Like, keep in mind what guys are interested in, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with everything uh, you said. I mean, you look at it just on paper. Stephen Nelson obviously jumps out. I mean, if you can add a guy as talented as Stephen Nelson to your roster, I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? Of course, you want. You want too many good players. That's a, that's a, that's a wonderful problem to have. I think Steven Nelson having a role on this team comes down to something that neither you or I will ever know, and that is what do they know about Greedy Williams' health? Um, because if they are confident, if the doctors are saying, yep, he's, he'll, he'll be fine by camp, it's a matter of time, you know, yada, 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 uh, then I really don't think there's a role for him here. And, you know, for, for his part, like you said, he wants someplace he's going to play. He's, he's going to want someplace he's going to start. And even the concept of, oh, well, maybe he can sign here for one year and chase a ring. 
Well, yeah, and that would be nice, but he's still going to want to play because if he just comes in and doesn't play a lot of snaps, then he's not going to get a big offer next year, and that's ultimately what he would want in that scenario. So uh, that the Stephen Nelson question, uh, for me, rests a lot on what do they know, what do they believe about Greedy Williams's health. As far as Poole, I, there's nothing more I can add except that if the shoulder is healthy, I have no idea why he's not signed yet because he's been one of the best slots in the league for a couple of years. I mean, you're tired of hearing me say his name on your pods uh, mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Um, and he's done it in a situation and, you know, with the jets, which was, let's be very kind and say less than ideal. So as, and, and, but I think you're right. I think uh, ultimately if they decide they want uh, there's an ultimately that I did. So you don't have mm-hmm. to take credit for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if they decide they want another one, a guy like Conley or maybe Conley himself is probably a good situation because he would be a guy that they might be able to get on one of those one-year prove-it type deals because that's the situation that he's in. Maybe a, And if they don't, if they think uh, you know, that, that Greedy is going to be healthy and is going to add to the coverage unit everything they thought he would when they drafted him, then maybe they're looking further down. Maybe they're looking at you know, uh, a guy like Kareem Orr who was just released by the, the Titans who's a special teams kind of guy, who, but also – uh, not last year, but two years ago, showed some flashes in coverage uh, as uh, UDFA out of App State, if I'm not mistaken, uh, not not App State, uh, Chattanooga, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And um, so maybe, you know, a guy that will come in and give his all on special teams on a cheap deal. And then if there's an injury, step in for two or three weeks and show what he can do uh, in the coverage unit. Yeah, I, I, we all said through the process that we, we really wanted one more corner. But it, is that guy here or is that more of a last week of camp, uh, you know, low level swap of players that each team was going to cut better fit for you, better fit for us type thing that we see every year. I would lean probably towards something like that happening rather than if they were going to sign one of these guys, I think it would happen by now, I guess, yeah. is where I come down on that. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's a good thought about a a swap type or, or somebody in camp, maybe they can work out as well as Malcolm Smith did when they brought him in too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, next question is from Kim dog, uh, 64. Oh, and we should say, sorry, oh. one more quick thing. We also don't know what they think about AJ green, the, True. the priority UDFA yeah. from last year. They gave, they gave Wilson a, a boatload of money this year as a UDFA. They gave green a pretty good sized bag last year. So they really like him. Now he didn't play a lot last year in some pretty adverse situations, but maybe after a full year in the league, getting up to speed, all that, having a real offseason, all that kind of stuff that we've been talking about. Maybe he plays a bigger role in their minds than they're letting us out here in the public know. So maybe they won't address the corner at all anymore. I just want to throw that in before we move on. It's very smart. It's, a, it's the, something that I don't think enough of us talk about. Kind of in the same ilk with Curtis Weaver, the question here from, from Kim Doc 64, mm-hmm. which is any reports of Weaver and his foot injury and thoughts of what his body change consists of. It is a toe ligament tear that it was pretty bad. We're going to kind of skip. We don't know totally what the body change consists of. Um, it could it could mean more lower body strength to handle and sort of offset. It could be something built toward ankle flexibility. Uh, I don't know. We don't we don't really know, but we're excited. I know both Stephen are excited about the potential that he could be like a draft pick defensive end. Uh, so that's that's an important thing to consider. And um, you know, hopefully they can get something from him. The last question from Ohio DEP came in. Baker throws an accurate deep ball, but we didn't throw very often last year. We actually were 16th in attempts over 20 yards with air yards last year. Uh, with OBJ, uh, second-year Donovan Peoples-Jones, and a speedy Schwartz, do you think we'll see more deep shots? We'll answer this one quickly. 
I think, yes, uh, more calculated risk deep throws. And I think when Kevin Stefanski talks about how the Browns offense needs to evolve, he's talking about unlocking deep levels of the field where he knows his offense got compressed into tight, narrow situations. I think that's a big part of what he's talking about. I would expect an uptick. I think he attempted 52 last year. I would expect that to attempt uh, attempt number to arise into the 70s or 80s, personally. Yourself? Yeah, I'm with you, uh, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, air Curiel bombs away. I I don't think they're going to throw downfield, you know, constantly. I think the deep threat opening up the deep uh, parts of the field with Schwartz and hopefully a healthy uh, Odell uh, is absolutely 100%. You need that. But I think more for what their scheme is, what they want to do or what will ultimately that will give them is the guys that can separate horizontally um, in the 8 to 12 yard area. I think having Schwartz and OBJ and even DPJ drag their guys and maybe a trail safety with them 35, 40 yards down the field is the biggest part of uh, adding speed. I think you're absolutely right. that We're going to see more shots because they're going to have, simply they're going to have more guys on the roster who can get open deep. I mean, they really didn't have anybody who can, could consistently threaten and separate 25, you know, 30 yards down the field. Now they have potentially at least three, uh, four if you count Kadero Hodge. I mean, he's he's a fast dude. People forget yes. that, but he was, yeah. he was a really fast dude. So I think simply from the nature of having more guys who have that in their toolbox, of course there's going to be more chances. And we know Baker is not shy at all about chucking it 55 yards downfield. He loves – what quarterback doesn't love to throw bombs? It's the, favorite, it's the best part of being a quarterback. But I think more than more consistently, what you're going to see is that deep threat being used to give Jarvis Landry and David Njoku in the backs out of the backfield. And even Odell and Schwartz, like like if Schwartz is on one side of the formation, he drags two guys deep. Well, you drag Odell across horizontally. Odell can separate horizontally just as well as he can vertically. You don't have to throw the ball 35 yards in the air to get a 35-yard gain from Odell Beckham or Anthony Schwartz. You can throw it six yards, and then he can make a guy miss. He's done it his whole career. So I think more than anything, yes, we are going to see more deep deep throws, but I wouldn't expect to, it to evolve into, you know, like I said before, some kind of bombs away uh, or Raiders from the 70s or, you know, that kind of stuff. I think you're still going to see far more throws in the intermediate and short range because they have so many weapons there that can make guys miss. Yeah, perfectly stated. I, I I just think they are chasing big plays however they can get them. That's a huge part of what he's trying to uh, to unlock and, and when they talk about the evolution of this offense. So that's the end of our questions. Uh, th- those were great. Those are questions you can only get through the OBR's Ask the Insider section answers. So if you would love to have a question answered, join our website where we write and put our thoughts and all that fun stuff and, and, and fire those questions away whenever you would like, and we'll answer them in long form and podcast form. Steve, this was fantastic. We talked for 20 minutes. Uh, we talked off the air about going for 20 minutes, and my recording is set down to 52 minutes, so this is on par for us having <laughs> no clue what we're doing. So I appreciate you, brother. Anytime, man. I just – I. I can't get it and get it done in 20 minutes. You know, I just every time we come on, you say, let's keep it short. And I say, OK. And then I ramble like a maniac. So uh, I always have a good time coming on with you, man. And it's going to be so much more fun this year because they're going to win a lot of football games. Yeah, it should be a ton of fun. And I'm guilty, too. I'm a rambler. Get out in the weeds talking about nonsense. So, it's yeah, fun, this man. is this it's is fun. fun. Why shouldn't we have a good time? 
we we're gonna need to in these next two months as we try to fill the time indeed so steve <laughs> huge shout out again thanks my friend uh, uh taking a sunday night uh to chat with me anytime anytime all right guys that's a wrap on today's episode we are going to be back on the youtube form platform uh, i should say uh with lane atkins tomorrow lane will chime in on some recent developments has some interesting thoughts on jc treader and his tie-in uh, as president of the Players Union and how that's all working out for the Browns. So we will talk about that on the YouTube. It'll be in podcast form for you as well. But if you want to you know, tune in live and ask Lane some questions about that, feel free to do so on the YouTube channel specifically. Thanks again to Steve for joining us. Thanks to you guys for loving and appreciating the weekend content, which I'm going to try to keep giving you guys as best I can. One, guaranteed. Two, if I'm feeling crazy like I was last weekend. You guys are the best. You support the hell out of it, and I appreciate that. Have a great Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday whenever you listen to this. I appreciate you, and as usual, until we talk next time, go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.